Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Dr. David Withen, who is the founding head of school at Jacksonville Classical Academy. He is a veteran of the United States Army. He earned his MA and PhD in humanities with a focus in literature at Faulkner University in Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. Withen has taught various subjects, including history and literature at the elementary, middle, and high school levels. He has also taught college composition, humanities, and literature. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. My name is Soren Schwab, VP of Partnerships here at CLT, and today we have a very, very exciting guest. Dr. David Withen is the founding head of school at Jacksonville Classical Academy in Jacksonville, Florida. He earned his master's and PhD in humanities with a focus in literature at one of our CLT partner colleges, Faulkner University down in Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. Withen has taught various subjects, including history, literature, uh, all of the elementary, middle, and high school levels. He's also taught college composition, humanities, literature. And lastly, he is also a veteran of the United States Army. Dr. Withen, first of all, thank you for your service to our country. And secondly, thank you for being on Anchor today. Thank you. Um, we like to start the Anchored podcast by hearing about our guest's own educational journey. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your early education, K-12. Were you homeschooled? Did you go to brick and mortar? What kind of school? I went to public school growing up, uh, and and I had an experience in uh, public schools that I, I think is similar to uh, a lot of children like myself. That is that I I attended largely Title One public schools um, that were uh, generally low performing schools, um, but was uh, you know qualified for the gifted program at an early age, was a, a precocious student, and was bored to tears. Um, and so I went to schools in, uh, in, in four different states growing up. Uh, most of my elementary years, I was in uh, Michigan. I went to a school just outside of Flint. Um, and then uh, in middle and high school, I went to uh, schools in Florida, in the Tampa area, um, and in um, uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania. Um, and across the board, uh, these schools were... Uh, you know, places that 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 were not uh, conducive to an intellectual environment, unfortunately. Um, and so you know, here I am, you know, this this 12 or 13 year old, um, I on my own uh, would I, I read the Iliad and the Odyssey. I, I attempted uh, Milton's Paradise Lost attempted. I, I will say uh, I didn't make it all the way through. Um, you know, I, I read, you know, Confucius's Analects and the Bhagavad Gita when I was, you know, 12 years old. Uh, so I'm this, this student who, or this, this young person who uh, clearly has some sort of hunger for knowledge. And uh, I couldn't, I could not have told you at that age, I can give you my own kind of philosophical take on it now, but I, I couldn't have told you when I was 12, 
why these works were better than what I was encountering in school when I did encounter works in school. Uh, but I knew that they were better. Uh, and I knew that there was something meatier there, something um, that that drew me to want to read these um, these older, often more challenging, uh, more far more interesting works of literature and philosophy than what I was being exposed to in school. Uh, and the result was that uh, the boredom uh, eventually led to uh, some negative behaviors and. Uh, I, I got in, in an inordinate amount of trouble uh, throughout middle and high school. Uh, at one point, simply stopped attending school. Um, it's, a, it's a miracle that I, that I even graduated from high school. Um, and, uh, and that was really the inspiration for me to want to find um, something that was better. I essentially had you know, almost given myself something resembling a classical education, though I didn't know the name you know, when I was 16 years old. So, okay, there's a lot to dissect here. <laughs> you yeah. just picked up all these. I mean, were you were your parents kind of voracious readers? Was there print around the house where you just felt like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab this, or did you just out out of your own volition kind of go to the library and just just pick the the classic shelf? I, you know, I don't know when it started. It was, but it it started very early, right? So I, my mother read to me, um, you know, but but she and and my stepfather and and my father, whom I lived with for a little while in Maryland and Pennsylvania, uh, they weren't particularly they weren't academically oriented people. They none of them went to college. Um, you know, they all had graduated from high school. My mother is a waitress. Um, my my stepfather has worked various jobs over the years. Uh, my father was a, a soldier. Um, and, and so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that we had a, a, a necessarily an intellectually oriented household anywhere that I was, uh, it was, um, it, it was wanting, it was having an insatiable curiosity, uh, and it was, it was wanting to read important works, uh, and being drawn to the fact that these were important. I, I think, you know, looking at it in retrospect, I can say, uh, my goodness, you know, uh, uh, Plato was right. We do have this this innate capacity to to seek truth, goodness, and beauty, and and there it is, right? Um, and and I think that that was that was what you know uh, what sort of drew me. But in terms of of practically speaking, you know, what was the the impetus in my life? I don't know. I, I showed up at the bookstore, and the books that uh, that that got my attention were not the uh, the, the young adult novels or the, you know, graphic novels or whatever was the popular thing at the time. It was, um, you know, things that, that uh, looked like they were a couple of thousand years old. Well, and I'm sure it's even now it's even harder to, to find these books in the regular bookstore. Mm. I mean, you go to Barnes and Nobles and the classic section is maybe five books now. I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. quite bad. <laughs> um, so did you, um, so you graduated from high school? Um, did you did you join um, the army right 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 after high school? I did. Yeah, I I went right into. I graduated in uh, May, and I was on a bus to basic training in June. Wow! And so, how long were you in the in the military? I served just over eight years in the military, about eight and a half years. Um, I was an intelligence analyst. Um, I fought in Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was in Baghdad in uh, 2005, uh, and then in uh, uh, the uh, a small town called Amara in southern Iraq in 2009. So you come home from that and uh, and I guess then it was, you know, what's what's next for me? Um, what were some of the thoughts? I mean, you, was college 
you know, throughout your time in, 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 in the military and abroad, was that something that you felt like was, was, was the next step or was that a kind of a spur of the moment once you came back? I don't know what to do. Let's go to college. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it, initially it was uh, a way to get promoted within the military because you earn college credit yeah. and you yeah. earn promotion <laughs> points. Um, and so uh, and so I took college classes while I was in the military. Uh, I went to various community colleges and, and um, uh, you know, picked up college credit wherever I could, basically. Uh, really always enjoyed my classes. I initially actually studied English, um, but then realized that I didn't enjoy grammar and uh, and so moved to uh, studying history. I know that's not something I'm supposed to say, but I... <laughs> no, not to the former English teacher here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, but I, I always, I, I enjoyed uh, text, right? And it was it was the joy of engaging with ideas. And so I went uh, sort of back and forth between you know philosophy, English history, which should I study, which should be the the, the orientation. Um, and, and ultimately, I ended up uh, earning a, a bachelor's degree in history um, and then moved into um, a position as one of the founding teachers at a classical school in Savannah. Um, in, immediately after I uh, left the military. So the, mili- the, the the end of my term of service in the army uh, coincided with uh, my uh, the beginning of my career in education and earning a bachelor's degree. Um, and at the same time that I was helping to found this school in Savannah, uh, I was also working on my master's and my PhD and uh, found a wonderful program at Faulkner University uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, that um, is a, a humanities program. And so uh, it's steeped in the, it is a great books program. So it's steeped in these, these uh, you know, classic works of literature, philosophy, history, et cetera, that, uh, that I've been describing. Um, and so it gave me an opportunity to sort of uh, in, engage in the um, sort of cross-discipline studies that I wanted to engage in. Yeah, and <clears throat> I got to be honest. I was uh, after my time at Hillsdale. I was teaching out in, in Colorado and 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 guiding a lot of students towards you know certain colleges. I had not heard about Faulkner University until I started at CLT and I'm like, oh, there's this is a partner college and in Alabama. And and I've been really 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 impressed with the work that they're doing. Um, so how how did you kind of did you know about them? I mean, you said you live you were in Savannah and and did you hear about them through? that because they're in Alabama or was it specifically the program that attracted you? How did you come about? By that point, I knew that I wanted to do a great books program. I had been introduced to the ideas of Mortimer Adler somewhere along the way, had picked up uh, the 52 volume great books of the Western world set and, uh, you know, made my my 20th attempt at at reading them all through from beginning to end. Um, and so I knew that I wanted a program that was that was based in the great books um, and that allowed me to uh, engage in the kind of cross-disciplinary work that I wanted to do, engaging with philosophy, engaging with literature, engaging with history um, and with the arts as well. And and uh, and so the, the program in Faulkner was brought to my attention by a friend who had heard about it. Um, and and uh, when I um, uh, contacted uh, the man who at the time was the, the head of that department and talked to him about uh, my own intellectual interests and my goal, my career goals and, and what I wanted to do, um, as well as what the program consisted of. I was very impressed and I and, uh, uh, really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, that's great. Um, I do have to tell the audience that uh, your, your first book is called Coworkers in the Kingdom of Culture, Classics and Cosmopolitanism in the Thought of W.E.B. Du Bois. It's released by Oxford University Press. 
um, this spring, yes. right? Yes. Is yeah. it just already out? Released. It is. Just yeah, it was released uh, April 15th. Awesome. Well, congratulations. It's on tax day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right on time. So you use your yeah, right on time and purchase a wonderful book. <laughs> wonderful. Um, so congratulations on, on that release, first and foremost. But but also uh, tell us about when um, when did you become interested in, in, in Du Bois? When was like the first time you were exposed to him and then kind of your research interest in, in his works? Mm, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those I, I just I, I, not quite a coincidence, but just a um, happenstance. Right. It was something that I, I, I had intended to write about, think about, uh, et cetera, getting into uh, graduate studies. Um, in my first uh, year in my master's program, I, I uh, had difficulty deciding what I wanted to write my master's thesis about. And the clock was ticking and I seemed to change my mind every five minutes. You know, it was, uh, it, I'm interested by such a wide variety of things. It was hard to know what I wanted to spend uh, an intensive amount of time studying and writing about uh, in the way that you have to do for, uh, uh, you know, a master's thesis. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, sort of random books that uh, that I had on my list of I must read this eventually was Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk. Uh, and it was um, a, a summer. Uh, and, um, you know, I had the book and I sat one afternoon in my, my backyard there in Savannah, Georgia to read and didn't put it down until I finished it. Um, and it, it was, it was, it, it spoke to the moment that I was in perhaps better than any book ever has. Um, we, I was, I had just finished my, my first year as a teacher, uh, at this classical school in Savannah and the arguments and the, um, uh, the problems that Du Bois was encountering were the problems that that I was encountering as a teacher at uh, a classical school. Uh, 80% of our students qualified for free and reduced lunch. Just over 80% were African American. Uh, we were a charter school, and it was it was you know the, the arguments against. Uh, access to liberal education that Du Bois is talking about were the exact same arguments that we were hearing. Uh, you know, that this is not the appropriate kind of education for students from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, that it, that we need a vocational focus, uh, that liberal education is, uh, you know, is, is not, uh, I don't know, not the right sort of education. Uh, and uh, the you know the, the passage that I think speaks to everybody when they read Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk and that certainly spoke to me um, is the the passage that begins I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not uh, and he goes on he goes on to describe right walking arm in arm with uh, Marcus Aurelius and Aristotle and uh, Balzac and Dumas and all of these these uh, great figures from the Western canon, and then asks, uh, "Is is this what you would begrudge us, O knightly America, or would you would you leave to us uh, simply the red the you know the the red dirt of Georgia?" Um, and you know, here I am in Savannah, Georgia in uh you know 2012 2013 whenever it was uh and there this is this is speaking to exactly where i am i'm going into a classroom and my students and i are engaged in the study of aristotle and aurelius and all of these figures from greek and in roman history and philosophy and uh, are are rising above the veil to the truth that it, that you know exists uh, in in um, uh, in these works, 
Uh, and when we step out of that, what we encounter is the opposition of uh, various factions that would say that this is, you know, this is not the sort of education uh, that that children uh, at this school, children from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, need. Wow. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to um, your current school, um, um, Jacksonville Classical Academy, here in a little because there's probably a similar similar setting. Um, but I, but I have to tell you that I, actually two things. One is, um, I mean, I consider myself a fairly well read person, and I've, you know, I've read most of the classics. And um, but I have to admit, I I had not read uh, W. E. B. Du Bois till not too long ago. And and I remember we had a we had a uh, our CLT higher ed summit and one of our board members his name is Corey Walker Dr Walker uh, who was at that point I think University of Richmond he's now at, at Wake Forest and he he said you cannot consider yourself a well educated person if you have not read the Souls of Black Folk and he said no there's no no ifs and buts you have to read this book well uh, 2020 summer. Um, Right, we reached this cultural moment um, after the killing of of George Floyd, and I think as a young company, you know, we're looking left and right um, at all these other organizations, and and honestly, what oftentimes just seemed like virtue signaling, right? We're black in our screens, or we're kind of providing like this trite statement that yeah, we're with you, and and so we were wrestling with that, and and uh, and we ended up taking a different approach. We actually ordered copies of the Souls of Black Folk for every single employee, and for wow. several weeks. We read the book together as a company every morning for the first 10 to 15 minutes um, and had a discussion. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it is just so powerful. And it's certainly spoke to that cultural moment, but but so far beyond that um, oh, as yeah. well. And of course, what we're dealing with here in, in classical education. So um, your, your, your new book, does it take a, a specific angle, a different, a different approach? Is it, is it kind of a, if someone is just interested in the works of Du Bois, is it, is it, a, is it a, good, a good book to read for them? I hope so. Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> it, it, so in part, it's an attempt to highlight all of the classical influences on Du Bois's thought. You know, Du Bois himself is it was classically educated. He was raised uh, in the north in Massachusetts to a, in a, a free black family uh, and attended uh, what at the time was simply called a school, but now it might be called a classical school. Uh, you know, he learned uh, Greek and Latin in high school. His, uh, his high school principal, a man named Frank Hoss, Customer, uh, ensured that Du Bois had access to the textbooks that he needed to study Greek and Latin, um, it, it, because Du Bois was this, uh, you know, again, this intellectually precocious child, uh, and the, uh, as Du Bois puts it, the the keys to the university uh, were Greek and Latin, and so you know, Hosmer gave him the the way to open the lock, and uh, and so Du Bois uh, had a classical education. And the ideas that he imbibed during that classical education, both uh, at his school in Massachusetts, as well as later at Fisk University, and then uh, during his graduate studies at Harvard and the University of Berlin, be, were, were formative influences for him. Right? The ideas of uh, Plato, for example, permeate Du Bois's thought. Um, the most obvious uh, influence, and perhaps the one that's most often highlighted, is the idea of, uh, or Plato's idea of the uh, guardian or philosopher king class and the influence that that had on Du Bois's idea of the talented tenth. But these ex these these uh, influences extend well beyond uh, just the just that concept. Uh, and so 
in part, I highlight, you know, those influences, but also Du Bois's role in responding to those influences and speaking back to Plato and speaking back to Aristotle and, and, and the people that are uh, informing him, uh, how he takes their ideas often and transforms them and speaks from the vantage point of a person who uh, is excluded from the Western tradition uh, by virtue of racial injustice and segregation and the history of enslavement and so on. Uh, a passage that, that immediately leaps to mind is from one of Du Bois's later works uh, where he, picture, he takes the image of Plato's cave and inverses it, right? So in Plato's allegory of the cave, uh, the person who is in the cave, the escapee from the cave, uh, receives the message of the outside world and then goes back into the cave to bring the message from the outside, right? The message is going from outside to in. Whereas in Du Bois's allegory, the message is coming from the inside. And the people inside the cave are desperately screaming, trying to get the message out to the people that are on the outside. And it's a message of endurance of humanity, even in the face of oppression and injustice, but the people on the outside of the cave won't hear it. Uh, he, he pictures them uh, yelling, and yet there's some sort of glass wall that cuts them off from the outside. So the people on the outside see that see these people uh, that, that almost look um, almost look funny to them because they're screaming inside of the cave, but no one can hear what they're saying, right? And so you can see Du Bois sort of taking things like this, right? Like the allegory of the cave uh, and in turning them in a different direction in order to respond to the tradition that he admires, the, the Western philosophical and intellectual tradition, but that has, in a sense, excluded him and people like him because of uh, racial in injustice. Wow. Well, and, and um, we're in 2022, and, and I think it, it, there there's still certainly folks that would say, yeah, no, classical education is not it's not for everyone, right? And and it's not for, especially like you said, right? Lower income minority students. It's not relevant for them. It doesn't connect. And uh, I, and I'm reminded that I, I just read a, a, an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal by Angel Adams Parm. Um, I think it's uh, yeah. don't cancel the classics, mm -hmm. broaden and diversify them. Um, and 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 at the end, she says, uh, and now black stone black students are told yet again that a classical education just isn't for them. And yes. in a way, right, it's the same argument that was made actually by, by white supremacists, right, by slaveholders. Right. This, is, this is just not for you. And so what do you say, and, and you had that in, in Savannah, probably these conversations and, and, and at your current school, um, when, 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 when people, especially maybe folks in, in Title I school say, yeah, it's just classical education is for the elites, right? It, it's, not mm. for, it's not for us. What do you, what do you respond to them? If it is true, it is good, and it is beautiful, then it is for all of humanity. And that's it. That, that's, that is the simple response, right? Uh, truth, goodness, and beauty are, uh, are, are objective, and the desire for them is innate. And if it is those things, if something is true, then it is for all of us, right? And if it is good, it is it is for all of us. And if it is beautiful, it's for all of us. And so there 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 is no uh, income or ancestry that excludes anyone from partaking in 
what Matthew Arnold called the best that has been thought and said, right? And that that is uh, to extend again Du Bois's thought and to talk a, a, a little bit more about uh, where I head with with Du Bois's inversion of the classical tradition in my book. Uh, he extends it into a, a sort of cosmopolitan vision uh, in which we can all appreciate and partake of the uh, the, the story of humankind. Uh, and find beauty within each of the traditions of humankind um, because they are all fragments or reflections of our shared humanity. David, we can talk about that for hours. This is, <laughs> this is that gets me, gets me excited. But I do want to, I do want to transition here a little bit. So you, um, uh, you, you got your PhD from Faulkner, uh, but it was not in educational leadership, right? It was kind of in that, in that humanities right. grade program. Uh, right. You are now a head of school. Kind of walk us through how how uh, what made you want to, I suppose, um, you know, take on kind of leadership roles, and and then what led you to from Savannah uh, all the way to uh, to be the founding head of school at uh, at Jacksonville Classical. Sure. Yeah. I I think that uh, what what guided me into leadership was the desire to um, help every every student have access to a quality classical liberal arts education uh, and to make it possible for teachers to provide that kind of education. Um, and, and for me, uh, moving into a leadership role and specifically in the charter school world is uh, the, the way, the, the role that I see as um, the one that can best accomplish that. Um, because it, it is uh, making um, classical education accessible for uh, students who you know can't pay private school tuition, uh, and it's making uh, the teaching of classical education possible in uh, public schools for teachers who um, you know often get bogged down by the bureaucracy that comes with being a part of a public school system. Um, and so I, I often cast my role as leader as the person who is you know holding the, the the umbrella over the head of the teachers to keep all of the 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 crush of uh, you know state testing requirements and and compliance and so on off of them so that they can focus on providing a quality education for every child. Beautiful. Um, well, given your 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 you know your previous role in the military and and I you know one of my favorite favorite bosses Colin Mullaney was in the military. I had a conversation on Anchored with Chris Wright, who was at Ascent Classical, is now at Mulray, uh, actually starting starting these hybrid classical schools outside of military bases to to to, to ser better serve our military families. I'm thinking of of Steve Lambert, uh, just an incredible leader out in uh, in Idaho. Um, it, is that something that you're noticing too? That a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, former military uh, men and women are 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 going into education and 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 maybe even especially in in the charter schools and and if so, what do you think? Kind of how did your your time in the military prepare you for 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 your current leadership role? Yeah, I I, I think that is something that I'm seeing. Um, I I think a lot of military families are also drawn to classical education 
uh, on the student side as well, um, because they they see in it um, the kind of structure and the emphasis on cultural literacy that they really want for their children, because they know that structured environments, the military itself, are healthy environments, and they know that being exposed to you know to various cultures and to the history of the world and uh, heavy emphasis on civics that all of these things are uh, positive things that are going to help their children to be successful as well. Um, and the same is true of uh, a lot of faculty members. In fact, the uh, not just me, but the, the school operations manager at my school are also former military. He's a Marine, so I'll forgive him for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, there is uh, there's a lot of similarity in terms of, uh, you know, ensuring that uh, that the, the children are in an environment that is safe through routines. And that is something that the, that the military perhaps taught me more than anything else. It is that having routines, having um, high standards for myself and having a schedule that I can, that I can live by are things that are going to help me to stay focused on positive things. Right. Um, and I didn't learn that until I was 18 years old at basic training. And I learned it with a, a drill sergeant telling me very emphatically about these things. Right. Um, but we're able to provide a structured environment that's warm and caring, but has clear expectations for all of our children. Um, and, and it, it gives them a sense of consistency, right? They know what to expect and they know what the consequences are when, when those expectations, when they fall short of those expectations and they know that there's somebody there who's gonna help pick them up when they fall short of those expectations. Uh, and then along with that comes an emphasis on things like courtesy, right? The military puts a lot of emphasis on decorum and courtesy and uh, the kind of interactions that you have with other people. And it's because they want to create an environment in which everybody feels like they are a part of this organization, right? We're part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And the success of each of us is the success of all of us. Whereas when one of us falls short, it, it can be to the detriment of everyone. Uh, and so we want to ensure that uh, in, in, you know, in a military setting that everybody is on the same page. And you do that through um, a sense of courtesy and a sense of having responsibility for other people and for the, the environment around you. And these are the same um, the same values that we want to instill in uh, our children. I, I think that everybody wants their children to be people who are uh, confident enough to look you in the eye and shake your hand and courteous enough to say thank you and please and use sir and ma'am, right? Um, and who are responsible for the world around them, right? One of the things that, one of the, the stock speeches that I often give, especially to uh, uh, the middle grade students at Jacksonville Classical Academy, uh, is that that there should never be a piece of garbage left on the floor because every piece of garbage, right? If you drop a, a wrapper or a tissue or a piece of paper or whatever it is on the floor, it's yours no matter who dropped it there because this is your school, right? And so when you pass it in the hallway, you stop to pick it up, you put it in the garbage, um, you take ownership of, of the world around you and having that sense of service, having that sense of responsibility is something that was instilled in me by the military. Um, and I think uh, uh, you know teachers who are coming from military backgrounds as well um, tend to thrive in that kind of environment um, and, and set up uh, an environment in which our children can be taught those values from a young age. And and I can I can tell you it it is it is a, a beautiful beautiful building. Uh, I had the chance to visit visit last year, um, and and I was just just completely blown away. You're in, in your second year, uh, or you right. just finished? I suppose just finished your second year. It's K seven. 
right? K7. Um, and you're part of the, uh, well, I guess formerly called the Barney Charter School Initiative is now Hillsdale, Hillsdale K-12 um, right. uh, schooling. Um, and, and, and I remember I, I visited and, and I, I walked into school and you're right, it was very clean. Um, but also I, I, I was able to, to, to sit in some classes and, 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 and what really resonated with me was one, um, just the uniforms. Right, the kids were just so darn adorable in their uniforms, and and two certainly it you know when people and sometimes I get in Twitter arguments and I try not to because they're not healthy but just the sense that oh yeah you you're your charters you know your charter schools and your classical schools you know they're just for white kids and you know and and it's just perpetuating that and you visit Jacksonville Classical Academy and it's and I don't know what the percentage is but it's it seems at least 80 percent is probably. Yeah, we're we are uh, ju- we're over half minority and over half. Over half. Yeah, wow. over half. Over half of our students qualify for free or reduced lunch. Yeah, and you walk in and and you have your virtues and you have your mission statement and and uh, I think I remember uh, uh, students reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. I think some of them even in Latin. <laughs> we we do we start we start the day with uh, well we do four things to start the day and I can share all four of them. So yes, please. Uh, we we start with the the pledge of allegiance in Latin um, and all of our students learn it. So it's one of the first it's the first memorization project that our kindergartners and incoming students work on when they start the school year with us. Uh, and then we recite our school's mission because I think that everybody should know the mission of the school, right? It, it should be the driving force behind every decision that's made because it's what we're here to do. Um, and it's to, in our case, it's to train the hearts and improve the minds of young people. Uh, and so that those two things should drive our mission or should drive every decision that's made. Uh, and then we recite our pillars of virtue, uh, which are all of the, the virtues that we uh, put emphasis on. And I've named some of them already, service and responsibility, courtesy, so on. Uh, and then we recite our school pledge, which is I will learn the true, I will do the good, and I will love the beautiful. Um, and we start every morning like that at Jacksonville Classical Academy. Wow, that is that is incredible. So I remembered it correctly. That, that was just mind-blowing. I mean, let's be honest, most, most students could, you know, in the public school in the U.S. could not even recite the pledge in English, let alone, let alone in Latin. So that's, that's a great, it's <laughs> a great sure. uh, first, first project to have. And, uh, and, and you guys have been growing and growing fast. And so your, yes. your K-7, the, the plan is to add one grade. Um, yeah, we, we started, uh, we started K-6 last year with about 450 students. Uh, we're K-7 this year with, uh, 750 and next wow. year will be K-8 with 950 students. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And, and, uh, I also heard that, uh, uh, probably largely due to the demand. I mean, there's big wait list. I know that, mm-hmm. um, you're also opening a second campus. Is it Jacksonville classical East or it is yes. Jacksonville classical Academy East. And I, uh, so Jacksonville's a very spread out city. Um, right. it, it takes some time to get from one side to the other. Uh, not, don't, not even to mention the traffic. Uh, and so we're building a campus uh, sort of on the other side of, uh, of Jacksonville as well. Again, to make, to make classical education accessible for every child. Yeah. Well, and, and we've seen this, this incredible groundswell and now we are seeing it right in the homeschool side. We're, we're seeing it on the Catholic kind of this Catholic renewal, um, certainly on the classical Christian school side as well. Um, but just sheer numbers wise, this, this classical charter school movement that, probably even 10 years ago. I mean, when I, when I graduated from, from college, there were certainly, you know, 
I went to that Hillsdale job fair and there were maybe 15, 20 schools. Now they're 70 or so and, and another hundred want to want to want to to go. Um, so so you have this 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 incredible growth that you're seeing in the charter schools, um, which is exciting. What what do you see kind of, you know, as we're scaling this movement? Um, what are some of the biggest strengths of the movement, you think? And and what are some potential either areas of weakness or certainly something to keep in mind as as we're growing some potential pitfalls? Wow, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think the strength of the movement is that is the accessibility, right? That's that's always been uh, my goal uh, is to make this kind of education accessible for every child, because I think that uh, this is the kind of education that every child deserves. Um, and so that that I think is is the strength of the movement as more people learn about it. Uh, and as as more schools are built, um, hopefully uh, it starts to influence even schools that would not label themselves as classical, uh, including the public schools, to, to look and go, what, what's going on here? And why are these schools doing so well? And why are they so popular? And what can we do to imitate them? And hopefully it will uh, turn the tide on uh, some of the, the, the trends in contemporary education in a positive direction. Uh, I think some of the potential drawbacks or, or uh, things that could go wrong um, are that that classical education becomes uh, watered down, right? That it, it becomes just a, a phrase that uh, we slap onto something. Um, and, you know, it's the same way that that often uh, the, the, the name phonics is slapped onto things that are not really phonics, uh, right? And, and so I think we have to be in terms of scalability, one of the things that all of us who are uh, dedicated to classical education in the truest sense of the term need to be very vigilant about is ensuring that classical schools remain classical uh, and being very clear about what classical consists of in order to, uh, to, to hold ourselves as well as schools as they expand and as they adopt the title classical uh, that we hold them to account. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point, David. And I've, and I've noticed that too. And, and I get questions from parents and, uh, you know, or teachers, what, what should we look at? What are some of the signs? Um, well, one, I always say there's, today's a great day to visit classical school, go visit, you know, yeah. and, and just once yeah. you go and, and you sit in those classes, you have these conversations, you see the students, um, you probably want to send your kid there or you want to teach there. However, there, there seems to be a, hmm, yeah, some schools have kind of latched on to the, the success of the classical. And it seems like it's become, I don't know, is it just classical, another word for college prep, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like right. there are some schools where it's, oh yeah, we're, we're a classical school, but 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 it's really more, it's, it feels very kind of college preppy. And uh, yep. if you go to I guess if you go to a classical school and 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 everywhere you just have their their number of AP classes and you know all, all the the college acceptances and the SAT scores and all, all you know it, it it probably is not the kind of school that that you're talking about when you when you when you mention classical. Are there other things that that you feel like whether it's it's someone that wants to teach at a classical school or or parents sending their kids there that could be potentially be red flags? Um, I, I think that the, the best thing that a parent can do and what I always encourage parents to do is, as you said, to visit the school, to see for themselves. Right. And, and um, you know, when I when I give tours of Jacksonville Classical Academy, I make a point of uh, going into it, classrooms essentially at random and, and allowing teachers or allowing parents to observe teachers and students in action, because um, I think that you actually you, you have to see what's going on in a school. 
and and uh, parents should have, and this maybe speaks to another one of those kind of contemporary pseudo controversies, right? Parents should have access to everything that their children are learning, uh, including the ability to, uh, you know, to, to see the, the lesson materials and to visit the school uh, and to, to uh, see the kind of atmosphere that their children are in and the lessons that are being taught and so on. Um, and so I, I, that's typically what I, you know, encourage parents to do if they're looking at, if they send me a, an email or give me a phone call and say, you know, we're thinking about your school. I just say, well, come visit, give me a time. And, uh, you've got, you've got me for 30, 45 minutes and, and I want to show this to you. Um, and I actually encourage parents of, of my students. I teach a class, uh, that if, if they're ever, um, uh, uh, you know, able to do so come and sit in on a class, uh, and see what classical teaching looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and luckily, if, if you're a parent in Florida, there are options. There are options. So, so check out some of the some of the Hillsdale uh, K-12 schools. Um, our good friend Erica Donalds runs the Optima Foundation. There's many, many, many schools and more more opening and, and they're all providing just just quality, quality classical education. Um, yeah. This has been delightful, David. Um, I, I have one more question for you. You probably guess which one it is. It's the last one we always <laughs> ask and probably the hardest. Um, uh, if if, <laughs> if there's one book or one text that you could say that's probably impacted you the most shaped you the most, maybe a book you come back to every year or two, um, which one, which one would it be and why? Mm. Uh, it, that is a remarkably uh, difficult question to answer because there are so many books that I, that I, that I want to name. Um, and so I, I think, you know, one obvious one, obviously, is Souls of Black Folk. Uh, du, du Bois's uh, work has had a, a, a huge influence on my own thought and obviously the trajectory of, of my uh, academic career, my academic interests, as well as my uh, career as a school leader. Um, but I, I, I think that I would have to highlight um, probably Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and in uh, the politics, because uh, you have to sort of put them together uh, as as having had um, a huge formative influence on um, my perspective on the world um, and the way that I interact with it and the way that I think about how a person should interact with it um, and the relationships of of um, you know that that I sh the, the sort of relationships that I should have with the people around me. Uh, and what it means to be a human being living in community with others. Obviously, your kiddos, it's K-7, they're probably a little bit too young, but is there already kind of a plan once you have a high school to teach teach that book down 11th the road? 11th grade. 11th grade, yeah, absolutely. 11th yeah, grade, that. just just a few more years. I'm sure you're already calling kids on, on that class. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, David, this has been absolutely delightful. Again, we're here with Dr. David Withen. Uh, the founding head of school at Jacksonville Classical Academy in Jacksonville, Florida. David, thank you so much for being on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.